Welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast, Season 2. I'm your forever coffee-infused host, Ashley Verma, and we are all here weekly to share the ups, downs, and all-arounds of the wild world of parenting. A safe space, a Lego-free space, to vent, to inspire, and well, perhaps this is the only adult conversation you hear all day. What is Adia doing? A, B, C, D. <laughs> is that funny? So each week, I will be joined by a fellow striving, thriving, and surviving busy mumsy. We learn together. We grow together. Hell, we cheers with an adult bevy when necessary. I get it. I am human and failures simply happen. I am not shiny and I am never filtered unapologetically. I am at its best. Even when the dishes aren't done, there's crayon on the wall, and well, my hair hasn't been washed in forever. I am Busy Mumsy. Happy days, my beautiful Busy Mumsies. Ash here. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm going to be fully transparent. I have had this awful cough for about 1,900 days at this point. Like That's what it feels like. I feel like I am just slogging through with a nice chipper smile on my face, but really deep down inside, I'm like, when am I going to get rid of this cough? I've been to the doctors. I have been on antibiotics. I have tried the good old Claritin D, the Claritin. I've done it all. And here I sit with my fingers crossed, hoping that I don't go into a coughing fit. Apparently, the pollution in Uganda is not in a applauding zone. It is more of in the red zone. It's not too pleasant, not too great. And I think I need to get a humidifier. There we go. That's my rant. My goodness. I didn't realize I needed to get that off of my chest until right at this very moment. Well, anyways, moving forward, today I am welcoming Emma Shafkut onto this week's Busy Mumsy podcast. She is a registered dietitian, and she currently works for the NHS in special needs schools and privately focuses on children's health. So she has this beautiful platform called Dietitian with a Difference. All of the details are in the show notes. She also specializes with helping parents navigate fussy eaters. I can just say, like, I can nod my head yes and go, yep, Adia, fussy eater, still is. So perhaps she can share all of the tips and tricks for us to navigate this wild world. So let's dive on into this week's Busy Mumsy Chat. Emma Shufkit, welcome to the Busy Mumsy Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on this today. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited to have met you. Thank you so much for reaching out to me too. Like, I love it. I love connecting on Instagram and just meeting like-minded men, women all over the world, trying to navigate this wild world of parenting. Definitely the wild world. Yes. (laughs) It is just bananas. And I feel like, well, I mean, we're on a podcast, but I do put the snippets up and I feel like, um, viewers are already starting to understand that the wall behind me is getting bigger and bigger with the artwork because it's just turning into really wild, just, you know, unstruck love with, with, with the painting and the feathers and the crayons and everything. At least it's not on the wall there. You've got it stuck to the wall rather than over the wall. Yeah, there there might be a section in the house where that is primarily dedicated to, but, um, you know, enough, nothing a nice can of paint won't cover. Exactly. <laughs> 
my view is no point ever having nice furniture or nice anything with children because they just destroy it, don't they? Yeah, you know, though I I learned that very early on before kids when I when I ventured into being a pet parent and having dogs. It's like, you know, why even try? (laughs) So, so true. Well, Emma, thank you again for coming on. You have this fantastic platform that is Dietitian with a Difference. So you are an accredited dietitian in the United Kingdom. So when was like the decision to becoming a dietitian and to help specifically with uh, parents and fussy eaters? So um, I actually retrained when I was 30. Um, so I had, I used to work as an events manager um, in London and um, I got sort of more interested in nutrition. I was trained to do reflexology as well. I got more and more interested in that. And I kind of, I think also I thought with events management, I'd done it for quite a long time, sort of 10 years. And I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to have children with this job because you're away a lot. It's ridiculous hours. And I just felt like it was a bit soul destroying, like it was very salesy and it was very, like I didn't feel like I was helping anybody or doing anything. I actually have a personal training client that is an event and I love her to pieces. Like I love her to pieces, but her job, she is event planner for a global company. And it's like one week she's in South Africa. The next week she's going to Japan. The next week she might be going to Australia. She's like, she goes, Ashley, like I lose it. Like it is like, it's like taking its toll. Like, I don't know what to do, but she's been in it for decades. Yeah. I think it's great when you're in your twenties and I wouldn't have necessarily wanted to do what I do now in my twenties because it is really good fun, but I do think it takes, yeah, like I agree, it takes a toll on you and the long days, late nights, everything else. And if you want children, it just, it just didn't work. And also I don't know, I felt like a little bit like once you've done one big conference or event or exhibition, they're quite similar over and over again. And it's just kind of make more money, more sales. And it's, yeah, I just felt a bit like I wasn't doing anything that was helping people. So that's why I had a sort of midlife crisis at 30. And I decided that if I really wanted to be a dietitian or do nutrition, I didn't want to just do it as a sideline. I wanted to do it every day so I went back to uni and retrained and I did a four-year degree again and um, yeah that's how I became a dietitian. What was that like going back to school in your 30s because I okay I'm in my 40s and like you couldn't pay me enough money to to like go back and do that but 30s I think I could you know muster it up but it still had to be different. Yes it was definitely different um I think I just wanted to do something that helped people. So I was really motivated to do it. And I also found it really, really interesting. I think when I did my first degree, I did it in geography because I was 18. I knew it was great going to university. It was all, you know, fun going out, all of that side. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. Whereas this time around, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I was really interested in the subject. So it didn't really feel like it was a drain going back again. And I think I just was really passionate about it. So yeah, I really enjoyed going back. I mean, it wasn't like the first time around, but it was really, I really enjoyed it. So yeah. I'm not gonna lie. My, I, I went to school for a hot second to university. I did not last long and I, I took no joy, no interest in any, I, and I, I was like born and bred dancer. So like, what, you know that you're not m- meant for school when you are failing ballet. Like, I just didn't go to any of the classes. I just wasn't showing up. I was like, where's Ashley? Oh, she's she, she's in New York again. She, I would take the Greyhound bus and go. I was in Buffalo. 
um, in upstate New York and I would get on a Greyhound bus and I would go into New York City for auditions. Like to me, that was school. Like I much preferred that over going to class. But I think everyone's different, aren't they? And it depends, yeah. you know, what lights your fire and what you're interested in as well. I mean, I'm Absolutely. really dyslexic. So, you know, I found school really hard. So, but I yeah. didn't find, didn't, but I always liked science and that sort of thing. So I was always interested in that. I think it depends how your brain works, doesn't it? And what, what you're interested in. No, massively. When did the love of wanting to delve into being a dietitian, like what was like, was healthy eating or did you have allergies yourself growing up that so like that was always kind of at the forefront. So you wanted to learn more, like what really made you go that route? So I think it was definitely healthy eating to start with because working in events, again, like long hours, you don't eat particularly healthy, lots of alcohol, you know, it's not a very healthy lifestyle. So I didn't feel like my health was in a great state as well. So it was kind of getting more interested in that side as well. And I think then to to sort of move more into the children's side as well, I was a really fussy eater. Like I basically didn't eat hardly anything. Like my mum said, I basically lived off omelettes and chips. So when we were on a holiday, all I'd eat was omelette and chips. And then I remember one day my saying, right, I'm not eating that either. I'm just going to eat ice cream. And I was like, okay, right, just eat ice cream. And I was sick. And she was like, this is why we need to eat other food as well as just ice cream. So yeah, I had a real interesting relationship with food. It, at 18, there's no way I would have trained to be a dietitian at all. I had no, and also I think back then as well, like I said, I'm a similar age to you. I'm in my forties now. It wasn't really a nutrition and all of that side wasn't that big in the end of the 90s so I don't think you ever would have known about it or to go into it or retrain in it either so it definitely developed my interest in nutrition developed later on okay so tell me more about CMPA mum because you have a daughter and she not she was before fussy eater because we know that once you get into those terrible twos that's when fussy eater becomes at the forefront but she had allergies from the onset of being yeah. born. So can you share with us more about CMPA? Because that is actually a topic we've never actually discussed on the Busy Mumsy podcast. So I'm very intrigued and really want to learn more. Yeah, certainly. So um, my little girl was diagnosed with a non-IG cow's milk allergy when she was just basically a delayed cow's milk allergy when she was around three months. So she was born prematurely, like 36 weeks. Um, we don't have any allergies in our family at all. So it's not like something we expected or, you know, anything like that at all. Um, there are some studies that link it potentially to, like, for example, because she was born prematurely, she was given antibiotics. And they do say, like, if you know, if you have a C-section, which I didn't have, but all of these things can link to potentially developing allergies. <laughs> I did. I did. I had C-section. So that was, so she could have had a, so my daughter would have been more prone to having a cow's milk allergy? Not necessarily, no. But I'm just saying that they do say like, so there's some evidence that, you know, if you have a vaginal birth, obviously they get all the bacteria. So there's more and more studies. And you probably heard more and more about the gut microbiome and all of mm -hmm. those things affecting the gut microbiome. So no, not, no, not necessarily. But it's just that there are extra things that could contribute to an allergy, not just but often it's more family history as well. There's lots of things that could cause allergies, but I do wonder slightly whether, again, with her having antibiotics, her being born prematurely, whether that increased her risk of an allergy. But again, it could not have done. It doesn't necessarily mean that was the cause. But we basically found, so she screamed nonstop from pretty much, I mean, when she was born, obviously she was quite quiet, but I would say up till three months, really struggled to feed her, 
she wouldn't take the bottle, screaming all day and night. And it was just horrific to the point where I remember my lovely NCT friends would be like, well, we'll feed her for you. You know, it can't be that difficult. She'll, you know, she'll, she'll drink. And they were like, yeah, we can't get any milk into her. And then I ended up in the doctor's. And then we ended up at the hospital and they were like, look, we think it could be calcium oncology because she had, she had really, so there's a lot of symptoms they can have and different babies. I was what exactly are the symptoms or like, I mean, was there like one kind of scary moment that she fell ill or like how, how did this all work out so that you discussed? She had really bad reflux, which doesn't necessarily mean that they've got a milk allergy or an allergy to any other food. It can just they be have reflux. reflux. Like, but they have reflux when they're ba- when they're newborn babies. Cause I mean, yep. my, my daughter was bottle fed. And let me tell you, I think I went through, I could be a spokesperson for every formula on the market. I bought all of them. I contributed to every, every uh, brand on the shelf. And it was, it kept on saying, well, she has reflux. She has reflux. Like every child has reflux. Yeah. But sometimes there's causes of the reflux as well. So again, like you do get lots of young babies that do get reflux because again, you know, they're not, their cause not strong enough. So they're more likely to get reflux, but sometimes there's also a cause as well. And I do think a lot of the reflux was caused by the milk allergy. She also had things like she'd be arching her back and screaming. She'd be vomiting a lot. She also had a rash as well, which I, to be honest with you, until she was in hospital, I didn't actually notice because when do you ever feed your baby naked? They've always got clothes on them, don't they? And it wasn't until obviously we were in the hospital, they stripped her, you know, to weigh her and everything like this. And then they, we started giving her this bottle, just a normal cow's milk um, formula. And then within a few hours, she started to get this bit of a rash. And I was thinking, oh, I've never noticed that before. And then I sort of thought, well, yeah, we've, we've been getting, she also got like, her stools were awful as well, you know, like really runny and sort of just it was a lot of gastro symptoms with her to be honest with you and they were all delayed so she had what we call a delayed allergy which is within two to 72 hours they can have symptoms so that was hers and that's normally the most common kind of milk allergy is a delayed one you can get an ig allergy which is an immediate allergy which um is a reaction within sort of sort of minutes to two hours so it depends it's always really good to speak to your health professional, though, if you're worried, because it's hard to sort of diagnose without collecting lots of information and lots of what's going on as well. But there's lots of symptoms. And what I'll do is, if you want, is I'll send you a link to like Allergy UK and you can see there's a really amazing table they've put together with loads of all the different symptoms because different children have different symptoms as well. So it's worth having a look through that and seeing if any of those symptoms relate to your child and if it could be an allergy as well. No, that'd be wonderful. Cause also I, I will then share that we will put this link in the show notes. Yeah. So that not only will all of your information be there, your bio, your website, all the things, but we can put this there as well. So that anyone listening that perhaps is questioning yeah. their child and the symptoms, then, then they can go to this link to kind of help better navigate. Yeah, And then they can speak to the health professional as well. Cause it's always worse because sometimes, like you said, it could just be reflux. And it might not be an allergy, but it's really hard as a parent to necessarily diagnose. But sometimes when you speak to a health professional, you can be like, right, and they've got all these symptoms and this happens. And, you know, we can we can picture it all together and be like, OK, right. We think this potentially is an allergy, but you can get, obviously get allergies to lots of things. And she also had an egg allergy as well. So like, OK, I've asked this before with other guests that have come on that are, you know, dietitians and, you know, sleep experts and I always go, 
So if you're training people all day, every day, and you're kind of like in that watchful eye, how do you kind of disconnect from that with your own child so that you can just feel like you're being a mom? <laughs> so like in this instance, were you just like now like freaking out in a sense of like, oh my gosh, like now, now I, I, this is everything that I study and I help train people and help guide. And now I'm, I'm in the thick and throes of this. Like, how were you able to handle like that added pressure because this was your own child? To be honest though, when I actually first had my child, I didn't work in pediatrics. So I started off working um, when I first qualified in adults, which is really common in the UK. Um, we tend, most people start in adults and then they kind of move to pediatrics. So at the time I wasn't, when she was first, first born, I've moved into pediatrics since, but at the time I was working in adults. So it wasn't really something I thought about or even like considered, to be honest, because we didn't have allergies. It didn't really cross my mind. So yeah, I, I didn't, didn't diagnose. And it, I must admit, we didn't get any help or support, but I was also, because I was a dietitian, and although I wasn't working in children's, I had knowledge and I knew a lot of the information. I knew where to find the information. I could speak to colleagues as well. So I felt like I had a lot of help and support. But a lot of people I know really struggle out there with getting help and support as well. with allergies yeah, And getting diagnosed and being listened to as well. And I think a lot diagnosed. Of- right. I mean, my, my daughter would get a cold here, a cold there. You go to the doctors and I just give her some Nurofen. She'll be fine. And really, like, we, we don't want to test. We don't want to see. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in this department because I think she's kind of taking after me from my younger self that could, that could essentially lick the floor and not get sick. And now that I'm, like, older in my 40s, I feel like I'm the one that's, like, in the brunt of it all. Like, if she has something, I'm getting it 10 times yep. worse. Like, yep. 10 times worse. I'm also in a very dusty a very dusty country um, where I've had a cough now for like the past six weeks and I've gone into the, to the doctors and like, Oh, you have a Ugandan cough. You're fine. You have get a humidifier. I'm like, I probably don't even want to know like what the air pollution is currently in my apartment. Like that might be scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And that can have a big impact as well. So, yeah, no, it is hard to know exactly what, what's causing it. And like you said, as a parent, you pick up all the bugs, don't they? Because children love to share, don't they? I mean, oh, yeah. I always thought yeah, I had a really good immune fun. system. Yeah. Until yeah, you have a child yeah. and they cough into your mouth or your face and you're like, oh, well, now I'm going to get that bug. Thank you for passing that to me. Wow. Yeah, that you just giving me flashbacks of two days ago, changing my daughter and just right into my face. It wasn't even like a, there, there was no way. It was just going to come straight at me. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you. Whereas in your 20s, no one did that to you. So I'm not sure no. my immune system was any stronger. It's just that we weren't being quite exposed in the same way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I want to kind of segue over into fussy eaters because this actually has my daughter written all over it. She is three and a half, nearing four in the beginning of next year. And she has forever been a fussy eater. Like to the point, like when you were mentioning eggs and that your daughter has an allergy to eggs, I'm like, I, I can't even say my daughter has an allergy to eggs. She just won't touch them. Like if she ate an omelet a day, I, I would actually probably be happy. Not to be it. fair, my little girl won't really meet many eggs unless it's in something since having an, I mean, she has grown out of the allergy and she's grown out of the milk allergy as well. Um, but yes, 
it is really, really tough. And it's really, really common, especially around the sort of toddler age, so the 18 months, the sort of two, two and a half sort of age, because they go through something called the neophobic stage, which is a fear of new foods. And it goes back to our ancestors. And basically, children of that age could obviously start picking up poisonous food when they were out about really irrelevant for today but they could pick up poisonous berries. So therefore this inbuilt kind of fear of new foods is so to protect them so they don't poison themselves. So that's where that neophobic stage comes from. And that's why wow. lots of children then grow out of it. But this is where you get the kind of fussy eating stage that lasts longer. And then your problem eaters as well, where they don't grow out of what we call the typical neophobic stage. Okay, what are the tools? What are the tips and tricks? How do we make this all rainbow and sparkles, Emma, when we're, we're, we're dealing in the terrible twos and threes and fours? So if you're dealing with your, your typical neophobic stage and it's just your typical fussy eater and your child's not what I call a problem eater and there's not, not sensory issues or other concerns going on, then I think one of the best things you can do is things such as messy play, getting them playing with food, anything you can do that makes food fun again can really make a big difference because children learn, particularly at that age, through play. And also the other thing is that when your child is anxious or stressed or worried in the same way for you, if you're worried about something, your body's priority is not to eat. Your body's priority is to run away and get away from that danger. So the more relaxed your child can be around food and new food, the more chance you've got of them eating food. So I always say have like family style meals if you can. And I know that's not every night because, you know, we're all busy and things are going on. But even if the weekend or something, you can have meals in the middle, get your child to serve the meals to you, even if it's like a spoonful or two. And, you know, basically just try and make the meals really relaxed. One of the most important things you can do is what we call division of responsibility. Mm. And basically... Um, the idea is that you are responsible for producing the food and giving your child the food. They are responsible for what they eat and how much of that food they eat. As an adult, if I was to sit there and say to you, right, I want you to finish this plate, right, I want you to have another mouthful and another mouthful and another mouthful, you'd be like, oh, leave me alone. Like I, I know how I feel and I know when I'm full and like I don't want you to pressurize me to eat because that's not nice. And it's similar for a children. We often go, go and just have one more bite, have one more bite. And it's like, but what's one more bite doing? Okay, so maybe you're getting half a carrot in, but what does that give you in terms of calories or nutrition or anything else? Not very much. So actually all you're doing is applying pressure to your child to eat. They're then You're then overriding the fact that they are naturally intuitive eaters. So all children normally knows how to should be able to regulate their own hunger and their own fullness. And by us applying pressure to them, we're overriding that system in them. So it's really, really important not to pressure your child to eat. So at the table, because the more you apply pressure, the more anxious they get, the less likely they are to eat as well. Emma, I have a confession. I'm guilty. <laughs> That's all right. And every, loads of people are. It's fine. <laughs> You feel like sometimes I do it with chocolate. I'm like, okay, if you do four big more bites, then you get the chocolate. So then That's basically okay. what you're what you're Here, doing. Ladies and gentlemen, Emma is smiling and shaking her head, but I know deep down inside she is mad at me. I'm not mad at you at all. Everyone does it. It's fine. So what you're doing by that is you're putting chocolate and dessert on a pedestal. So you're saying chocolate dessert is really good. This food. I still do that to myself, Emma. 
is not good. So therefore, you're creating this kind of good, bad food situation when really what you want to do is she's going to have the dessert and she's going to have the pudding. So what you can do is sometimes have, and what I do with some of my clients is say, put the pudding on the plate. So sometimes children will actually eat more if the pudding, like a small portion of the chocolate is also on the plate. They'll eat that and then they'll go back to eating the meal because they're not worried that they're not going to get the pudding. So it's like you're taking off that pedestal and making it all all kind of food and it's all the same, same level. All yeah. The same level. Yeah. I'm going to try that tonight. Yeah, give it a go and let me know. <laughs> I am so going to try that. I mean, because, you know, we, we just had Halloween not long ago yeah. and it was like, that was a big one because this was like the first time she went trick-or-treating. So she knows that she's got that bag of candy like in the cabinet. She can she will grab your hand and take you to the cabinet. She knows where it's located. And it now has all has been that conversation at dinner time. Like, OK, I eat this. I get the cupboard. I want my green bag. And it's a, a green bag of candy. And so I think I'm going to slow down and put it on her plate tonight. Yeah. Yeah, definitely give give that a go because it takes that candy off the pedestal. And the thing is that if you deprive children a lot and you say you can't have this, what you do in a lot of you see in a lot of adults is obviously you build these cravings and then the yeah. emotional eating and all of that things of like you can't have that food, you're not allowed that food. Therefore, oh. you know, you're depriving someone of it and it makes children crave it even more. Whereas actually if it's accessible, chances are they'll probably get a bit bored of it. My little girl with sweet stuff, she'll have them and she'll have like something after dinner, or she'll, but she's not bothered. She won't, whereas I've gone around people's house and see children, they're literally just like putting it all in their mouth. You know, like it's like, it might be taken away, therefore I've got to have it all now. Whereas actually, if it's just around, it doesn't become such a, such a big thing that, you know, it's something they're not allowed. So therefore they've got to have it all now. And you sort of learn okay. to that regulation as well. Oh, I mean, no, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a whirl and I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. You know, I, th this makes me think of, I'm going to, I'm going to take us and rewind us back to the eighties. My mom, I, I can vividly remember my brother and I sitting at the dinner table and we were like, we were like fussy, but like, I didn't like sweet potatoes at the time, but like white potato, like a mashed potato, sign me up for that all day long. But my mom was like trying to be like healthier and whatever. And we would have sweet potatoes. She would put a timer on and she would go because she would, she would just say like, you've been sitting at the dinner table for 45 minutes. This is really ridiculous. Like, and you guys have been playing with your food and tormenting each other. You've got 30 more minutes and that plate better be cleared, cleared because that, that was another thing too, growing up in our household, like whatever food was put on your plate, we were not allowed to waste it. Like yeah. there was no sort of like, like we, like we were, you know, we were working class family that everything that my dad made was like, you know, when that grocery list came out and the food was made and whatnot, we were not wasting it. So yeah. my mama put a timer on. Can you imagine that nowadays if that were the yeah, case? Yeah, but that was, that was the way it was. And it's like, even like when you go back to like the war and stuff and you think of like food rations and all of those things that people were, it was like, clean your plate, you know, you must clean your plate. But we don't live in that kind of society anymore. And a lot of those things are quite damaging 
for, for people because again you have that thing that you have to finish everything on your plate so again you're not learning how to regulate your hunger which then again means that maybe when you're older you overeat and all, all of those sort of things around food so there's lots of people i speak to who have issues around food because of some of the things so it's really really important not to do that with your child and force them to eat everything on the plate and I remember when I was at school being forced to eat pasta and I didn't eat pasta till I was about 19 because I was so traumatized by being forced to sit there to eat like the bow pasta, which I still can't bring myself to eat. My husband's like, seriously, like this was like years ago. But I think it's trauma, isn't it, around food? If you're forced to eat something, it does, you know. What about being quick? Like, do you find with clients that like parents that you're working with and their kids that you're working with, do you feel because we're living in a much more fast paced world and like kids are what, like they're doing like 5 million clubs after school and all that kind of stuff. So they, they got to, they got to move quick. Right. Are you finding that kids are suffering in that department and then they're not really getting everything they need because they're eating too fast? I mean, it's important if you can, you chew your food and you can have the kind of family style meals as well. Um, in terms of the probably the clients I work with, it's not really something normally it's trying to get them to eat more of something or yeah, but I mean, I think it's important to chew your food and slow down and you know, for your digestive system as well. But also the other thing is to realize that for children, you know, eating isn't a social thing in the way that for an adult, we would go out to dinner and we'd enjoy meeting our friends and stuff. For a child, playing is way more interesting. And actually eating is something that they're doing because they're going to eat. It's not, they're not going to sit at a table for like half an hour or an hour like we would because it's just not, it's not the same for them. So it's just remembering that as well. Okay. So with your platform, Dietitian with a Difference, what is in the pipeline for you? What are, what are you working on that you would love to have more people come to your account to be seeing, to learn from, to grow from? What what, what is, have you been working on? So I've created a new program called Creating Confident Eaters. Um, and that is um, three one-to-one -one consultations where I help parents and I offer a full dietary assessment and everything else. So I help them because a lot of parents I see worry about things like protein and iron and things like that. And sometimes when you do a full dietary assessment of their child and what they're actually eating, it's not quite as bad as parents sometimes think it is in terms of their nutrients and everything else. Um, and then what I do as well is I do full reports for them. But I also I'm trying to develop as well some like food challenges as well. So I do that a lot on my email list as well as I send out and I'm trying to do it each week. If you're following me, um, I'm doing we we have something called which I don't know in America. You have something else, but we have something called Strictly Come Dancing. I think it might be Come Dancing yeah. or something in America. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, wait, what is it? Um, Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. That's it. I knew there was an American version. So at the moment, it's all in the UK. So each Saturday night at the moment, we are doing a Strictly Challenge. So we have tried pears, which my little girl now absolutely loves. And before they were disgusting, she was never eating them. We've done avocado. This week we did plums. So we're, each week we're trying to do some kind of fun challenge around food. So I get her to cut it up. We find a fun recipe to make because you're not necessarily going to get a child to just eat a bit of pear or a bit of avocado on its own. It's a bit I, bit boring, isn't it? And it's a bit like, you know, like they've seen that food before and they're like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not touching that. But if you cook with it and you get them to chop it up and then you get her to bake with it. And we normally make it some kind of pudding because, again, it's a bit more fun and a bit more interesting to eat as well, isn't right. it? If it's got avocado chocolate mousse. But what I found, she really enjoyed doing that. And she's even said to me this week, she's like, 
oh mommy i didn't think i liked pears but now i absolutely love pears because we did this challenge so i think it's the more you can make food fun and get your child involved in touching and interacting with the food the more chance you've got of them eating rather than sitting at a table and serving up you know like you said avocado and going right i want you to eat this they're not going to eat it it's unlikely they're just going to suddenly put it in their mouths because for them it's a new food and i often say to parents it's a bit like you eating a spider and i had an incident of this for me in cambodia when my husband was like oh let's have spiders and they stopped sing and i was like no way you're not going to get me to just eat a spider and for a lot of children that new that avocado or that whatever that food is it can be a really scary thing and if you've touched a spider you would have to smell it you'd have to touch it you'd probably maybe put some sauce on it so for a child it's similar they're not going to just go right well you know that avocado is just an avocado that you eat but for a child they're like mm, i don't know what this is it's green i've not you know i'm not really sure about it so they need to go through these steps to get to trying the food as well so it's really really important and i just think the more you can explore so yeah if you're following me online any kind of like fun food challenges i'm all about anything to do with that as well <laughs> okay now i have to ask if all has failed and you've got the fussy eater and you're really worried about the vitamins, the iron, like all the minerals that the child is not getting from that well-balanced diet, do you recommend the vitamins that are on the market? Do you, or do you have some that are like your absolute favorite go-tos that you highly recommend? Because I, I mean, being in, in Uganda, being in, in East Africa, I do worry about certain things that my daughter is not getting and being exposed to. So I, I'm kind of like vitamin up for her. Um, so what would you recommend? So for every child and every adult, we always recommend vitamin D as a minimum, especially in winter time. Um, yeah. cause obviously you're not getting enough sunlight. That's sort of, we a minimum. have an abundance of sun you here, but have lots of sunshine. But, we don't. <laughs> for her I do do that yeah so vitamin d is really really what like the minimum kind of thing in the uk this is kind of uk guidelines but um we sort of say like um six months to five year olds um at least a and d and we used to provide vitamin c as well but if your child's eating well we don't necessarily advise that they have to have vitamin c um as well they've, they've changed the guidelines in the uk on that but if i'm seeing a really fussy eater and when I, particularly when I've done a whole dietary assessment and what I do is get them to submit like three to five days worth of their diet, I can get a really good idea. I use a program so I can see what nutrients, like if they're low in iron or low in zinc. Because the thing is, if they're low in iron, that can affect their appetite and actually make it worse as well. Yeah, so I do recommend, um, again, they're mainly probably UK ones, but I'm sure US and you're, I'm sure there's lots of equivalents throughout the world. Like things like Well, well Babies are a good one because it's got iron and zinc in it as well um and again there's we've lots in the uk like nature aid's another good one and there's we have loads lots of different options but yes and then there's also ones that we have that are like powder ones that are like tasteless so for your children that i'd call real problem eaters or what we also have something called arfid as well which is your avoid restrictive eaters as well i would recommend a really good vitamin so yes i do always recommend a good vitamin and mineral especially if your child you come to see me and your child is a very restrictive eater because I think we can get the nutrients into them then whilst we work on ex trying new foods and expanding their diet. And I also look at their diet and be like, right, OK, you're having, you know, this product has they're having like bread, but you could buy this one and this one has some fortified is fortified with some iron or they could switch to this 
like for example, we have like something called an Arlo Big Milk, which again has some iron in. So we could look at making switches to the food that they are already eating to get a bit more of those micronutrients in whilst we work on all the strategies to help them expand their diet. But we know that that's going to take time. So in the meantime, let's make sure they're on a really good multivitamin and the food that they're eating is the got all the vitamins and minerals in that they need as well. So that's kind of where I start with clients. Yeah. Well, speaking of strategy, as it's a lot to take in, you know, another human and their needs, their wants, and trying to figure it out. Strategy for parents. What are some tips and tricks to help them feel confident? Because I, maybe I should have opened all of the books that I was gifted with. You know, I didn't. I just took one day at a time, had one cry at a time, and just kind of figured it out with parenting. And I, but I do feel that in the fussy eating world with, with the toddlers and also, uh, you know, I, I didn't deal with the allergies with Adia, but I can imagine it. That's a whole other element layered on what would be some great strategies that you could share with parents that are struggling in this department? So I would say, the, and this is hard, but I would say the calmer you can be. Don't cry. Don't yeah. cry. Well, you can <laughs> cry, but don't cry in front of your child if you can help it whilst they're in meals. So try not to apply the pressure to them a lot when you're eating. Try and keep calm. And if they do eat something as well, try not to go into that, woohoo, they've eaten something. I'm so happy dance in the kitchen. Maybe do that. You can do that and I've done that, but somewhere else away from them. Because again, that's kind of pressure because you're sort of saying, I'm so proud of you. And then you're kind of encouraging them to, you know, eat rather than it being them wanting to try the food. So just try and stay as neutral and as calm as you can be. And I know it can be really, really stressful and you can be really, really anxious, but the calmer you can be at that mealtime, the more chance you've got of your child eating more food, trying more food than when you're on them, watching them like a hawk and being like, I just want you to eat a bit more of that. But you're like, it's really stressful. And if someone's to do that the other way around, like I said to you, you'd be like, um, I'm oh, trying to eat my meal. Just like leave me alone. <laughs> like, yeah, leave me alone. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's how it feels for your child. So always think of it. How would it feel for you as an adult? If someone was doing that to you, would you like it? Would it help you eat? No. So if you can do that, and I would say like play music or have some kind of like fun, like theme nights and just try and make meals as fun as you can again. And if you can get your child involved in cooking, baking, anything to help you in the kitchen as well, you've got so much more chance that your child is going to, you know, touching, feeling, interacting with that food. Um, but yeah, that's my biggest thing. But I know it's not, it's not straightforward because like I said, my child has been a really fussy eater. She's loads, loads better than she was. Um, and I put it all down to the allergies and she really didn't wean well. We had a really, a real nightmare with her with food. Um, and her, she's really tiny as well. So she's only on like the second centile for growth. So I often worry about her, her weight dipping and things like that as well. But I do find the more I worry and the more I apply pressure to her, the worse she is. Whereas the more relaxed I am around her, the better her eating gets. And then she okay. keeps tracking her weight and stuff. But I do think if you're worried about your child's weight and their weight starting to fall, then definitely speak to your health advisor. But if they're tracking the right growth centile, then chances are they're getting enough food um, to grow. All right. 
Well, my busy mumsies, we all got a strategy now, and that's to go to the show notes, and you can click on all of Emma's details, her website. She's going to share with us this other guidelines, right? With yes, the analogies. Yes, you can have a look at that. Perfect. So, um, yeah, thank you, Emma, so, so much for joining me for a Busy Mumsy chat. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved it. It's been brilliant. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. Did you like it, Adia? Yeah. Oh, the enthusiasm. I love it. Please share your love by giving us a five-star rating, a rockin' review, and please share with any fellow Busy Mumsies. We love hearing from you. So if you want to get in touch, head to the Busy Mumsy show notes for further details and links to the Busy Mumsy website. So long for now. Can you say bye-bye, Adia? Bye-bye, Adia.